0: Greetings and welcome to Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your co-host, Brian Reardon, and with me here in Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri is Betsy Taylor. Betsy is the editor of our award-winning journal, Health Progress. Hello, Betsy. Hi, Brian. Good to see you again. Uh, so this episode, we're going to uh, go a little bit deeper on the current issue of Health Progress, which uh, is around the environment. And maybe you want to just share a little bit with our listeners on some of the topics that we covered in this current issue?
1: Sure. Um, it was a really interesting um, issue because it gave us an opportunity to really look at what Catholic health care systems were doing around the nation. Um, when it came to environmental work, uh, it It's great to see that um, some of our systems are really taking um, sort of good hard looks at what their systems have been doing and really setting ambitious goals for the future to uh, curb waste, improve their energy use. Um, And like so much of our work, um, they're really trying to tie their environmental work to health equity issues and make sure that the choices that they're making benefit the whole of their communities.
0: Yeah, and I think for... um This episode, we really wanted to focus more on that last piece around health equity. And the topic really is around environmental justice and global efforts to improve uh, the human condition particularly as it relates to, uh, again, the health care that our members provide and, and their work in uh, underserved communities. Uh, as I mentioned, this topic is featured prominently uh, in our current issue of Health Progress, so check that out. You can read it online at uh, chausa.org. And this topic also relates very closely to our Initiative called "Confronting Racism by Achieving Health Equity." Uh, it was a year ago, actually, this month that we reached out to our membership and asked them to sign the pledge. It's, the initiative is also known as "We Are Called," and so I think this really relates to again a topic that's been uh, in the news a lot around uh, the environment and the the sort of code red alarm that the UN put out back in August, and our work around addressing health disparities. So with that, let me bring in my our two guests here. Uh, our first guest is. Laura Endurko. She serves as the co-director for the Mid-Atlantic Center for Children's Health and the Environment at Villanova University. Welcome, Laura.
1: Hi, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: Great to have you. Our other guest is Susan Barnett. She is a former network news producer for ABC News Primetime Live 2020 and Dateline NBC, and she now specializes in media communications and advocacy for -for not-for-profits. She is also the founder of Face for Safe Water, and she is the author of Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene, uh, the Vatican Catholic Healthcare Take Leadership Roles in the Wash Work. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. But, Laura, I want to start with you. You wrote a great article uh, in this issue you about the environment and environmental justice. Um, can you kind of stick us, start us off by explaining, you know, give us a little background on what environmental justice is and how the movement began?
2: Yeah, well, um, overall, environmental justice really means that everyone has a fair chance of living the healthiest life possible. And EPA's definition, which goes way back, has really been um, sort of the cornerstone of the work that's gone on in the past and now. And they talk about the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people. Um, And uh, fair treatment means that uh, no group of people bear a disproportionate burden. Um, Meaningful involvement means that people are at the table in the very beginning of any planning of uh, placement of an industry um, was one example. And that um, their voices are heard and so environmental justice really means that everybody has this equal chance to have their voices heard and to um, uh, be at the table and be in the very beginning of development of any um, industry or any um, proposal that might change their, their environment, um, their culture, their ways of living,
0: and in your article, uh, you talked about uh, marginalized political influence. You gave examples of how policies that have been um, promulgated over the years around, you know, things like redlining, have really caused this uh, disparity in how environmental degradation really has affected uh, communities of color, vulnerable communities. So, can you talk a little bit about some of those? Those, from a policy perspective, um, why environmental justice? Uh, you know, is such a critical issue for this country.
2: Yeah, um, I, I've been doing this work for some time, thirty years now, uh, and I think with the death, the murder of George Floyd, I think it's really become um, it's become front and center for a lot of people. Uh, sort of the systemic racism, um, the the indigenous communities, and how they've been um, struggling. Um, whether it's climate change and having to be moved from their their traditional lands to inner city. And um, the policy aspect is incredibly important. Um, The EJ movement really began as a result, it really grew out of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And um, it took about 20 years um, for it to, for environmental justice issues to sort of make The the news. Uh, So in 1982, there was a a nonviolent sit in protest, which I write about in the article around PCBs in North Carolina. And while this movement really wasn't successful in keeping the landfill from being put into this poor community, um, it really did help um, the EPA uh, move towards environmental justice. in the 90s uh, when President Clinton um, wrote the Executive Order uh, 12898 that really um, uh, required agencies, federal agencies to integrate EJ issues into the work that they were doing. And so um, even though the EPA was established in 1970, it took another 20 plus years for it to really recognize the importance of uh, justice issues um,
1: and how it impacts public health. Um, And Laura, I just want to acknowledge you've referred to EJ a couple of times, and I'm sure our listeners have probably picked up on this, but that's just shorthand for environmental justice. Um, Thanks. And Susan, um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the work that you've been doing. Um, We know um, that you've been working on issues um, that are global in nature, Uh, in the article that you wrote for Health Progress, we uh, hear a lot more about the Vatican's Water Sanitation and Hygiene Initiative, uh, which is known as WASH. Could you tell us um, more about what WASH is all about um, and some of the basics of how it's working?
3: Or not working, as it were. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sure, Uh, let me tell you, let me start with a story. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel with a small NGO to Ethiopia. And I spent a good amount of time in Ethiopia touring 16 different healthcare facilities from hospitals to small health centers. Not one of them them had adequate water, sanitation, or hygiene. Um, I met women who routinely lost a child in childbirth. Think about that. That's something that's an absolute tragedy here and I'm not, I'm ashamed to say that I actually became surprised when a woman hadn't lost a child in childbirth. Hundreds of thousands of babies and women would, lives would be saved every year if there was adequate, safe water, sanitation, and hygiene, meaning healthcare providers, midwives, nurses, doctors could adequately wash their hands at points of care. We should all be shocked by that when we talk about health equality. It's impossible without water,
1: and um, and so uh, talk us through the um, the work that the Vatican's doing on this issue.
3: Yes, um, and this is very important work. The Catholic Church, writ large, is the single largest healthcare provider in the world, and so the fact that the Vatican has decided to prioritize access to wash in its healthcare facilities is massive, so important. It could really be, uh, it could really be like the change agent. Uh, and showing profound leadership. So what happened was the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, led by Cardinal Turkson, decided to prioritize this. They reached out to uh, bishops in low-income countries, low-resource countries, and 23, I'm sorry, bishops responded in 23 countries wanting to be part of this pilot project to get Washington healthcare facilities. And so assessments were done in 151 facilities. So we know where the problems are, where the needs are, what can be done more immediately with little to low cost and what requires funding to bring about greater improvements. Now, this is a pilot project. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And, uh, but it's it, but it's spectacularly valuable because it truly could be transformative when it comes to human health. And we're not talking about giant investments here. I mean, sure, there are some projects that cost more than others, but even a small investment in WASH will address basic needs that can literally change lives for the
2: better.
0: Yeah, Susan, I want to share a story. Um, I had the honor of going on a, a mission trip to Tanzania. I think it was 2003. And it was um, sponsored by the Hospital Sisters of St. Francis. One of the sisters went over there, I think, in 1999 and told the story of the very first thing she did. She was setting up a medical clinic, and she immediately identified the, the, the lack of access to water. And so her very first thing, before she even got the clinic up and running, she worked to get like a mile-long pipeline from a well up on a hill down to where the clinic was going to be located. And so things, I think we, we kind of take that for granted, obviously, in, in the United States of having access to clean water. But again, that's it's not always a case everywhere in the U.S. either. So I, I think, you know, those, those basic things that many of us just, especially working in healthcare, assume that, you know, there's a sink there that you can turn on a, a faucet and get clean water. And again, wash your hands and and get ready for procedure is is not um, as common as you might think around the world.
3: Absolutely. And um, I don't want to throw out a lot of data, but to your point, in in the 151 healthcare facilities that are Catholic-run that were assessed, 56% don't have water at point of care. I'm sorry, actually, don't have water on the premises, so they have to go fetch it. I've watched donkeys make 20 tr- trips a day from a filthy river where animals drink to bring water to a health care facility um, you know, in, in the Catholic facilities. 27% of the birthing services lack water in delivery rooms, so um, overall Catholic facilities uh, were doing a little bit better, but they still have their own problems. It's not unique. Unfortunately, it's just not unique. And here I've got to plug the Daughters of Charity. Boy, they do amazing work. But if I recall correctly, their number one request for, for infrastructure work is around water, access to water.
0: And Laura, here in the United States, um, what do you see the role of, of Catholic health care doing to address environmental justice? So we, we talked a little bit about, obviously, the, the international aspect, and I think some of our, our members of CHA do support different projects. Uh, I know we're we're supporting uh, the WASH in in Haiti and I think uh, 10 dioceses there, but what do you see some of the role for our members doing in in addressing some of the the disparities uh, that come about from uh, the environment here in the U.S.?
2: I think one of the the best programs CHA um, is involved with and has actually been a leader with is the Community Benefits um, Program, which is a requirement of the Affordable Care Act. And I know Julie Trocchio leads that up as director, and um, uh, CHA has been really leaders in helping hospitals get beyond the assessment phase and moving it into communities in a way that addresses environmental um, exposures, improving environment. And, um, you know, the website has phenomenal Um, case studies and examples that I share with my students um, every semester. So it's, um, I think that building on that um, is important. I know that, you know, um, Catholic hospitals have historically um, taken in those who don't have health insurance, um, need care. But I think looking at that link between the environment and health uh, the Community Benefits um, Initiative really has um, great potential and really strong impacts already. So I, I would encourage folks to check that out, um, uh, particularly if they're in institutions that are looking to, quote, become more green. Um, there's also a group called Healthcare Without Harm mm-hmm. uh, that has worked closely with uh, the Catholic Health Association in um, looking at better food and planting trees in communities, all those kinds of things we know and help improve health.
1: Laura, I want to ask you about when you started um, talking about environmental justice, you described it as a fair chance to live the healthiest life possible. That sounds like something everyone should agree on, sort of a foundational that people should go, great, you know, I would love to do that work. But we're living in a time with a lot of political divides. Um, people aren't always paying close attention to the science. Uh, they're denying science. Or as we all know, they're um, just you know seeing things on social media that aren't true. I'm wondering about um, the concept of environmental justice, uh, if you have a sense for how this is received by the public broadly, and with those divides, What's the best way to advance some of the work that needs to be done? That's a great question,
2: um, and I, I would say that while so sh- social media can be the enemy, it can also be um, uh, the the mechanism for getting the information out, um, even by way of uh, movies like Aaron Brockovich, um, the the uh, Dark Waters, which talks about PFAS in in underserved communities and. In the water. Um, I believe that, um, and and I'm a scientist, but I believe the science can turn people off. It's sometimes not translated in a way that's meaningful to people. And we need to reach people where they're at. And um, we need to talk about, for example, asthma. Almost everybody knows at least one person with asthma. And so if we begin talking about, or or eat fish. If we begin talking about the links of the environment with uh, some of the things that we have to do, like breathe. um, You know, and Susan talked about drinking water. um, People need to appreciate that there are communities such as Flint um, that don't have the basic needs. And I think as we begin to raise awareness Um, we don't have to use science, right? We can use visuals. We can tell stories, uh, like Susan just did to get that message across to, to folks, um, you don't have to believe in the science. You just have to believe in, in what's right. And you have to believe that, um, every, every person, uh, needs to be able to breathe the air and drink water and then connect, connect the dots that way, um, and um and storytelling is a great way to do that as well, whether it's visually or through podcasts or just uh, talking at a local church um and and helping people get a better understanding of what others are are having to deal with every single day. Can I add to that sure. you have
3: to believe in outcomes? Yeah. You no, know, we have the power to affect the outcomes.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's why I'm I'm very excited about CHA USA engaging some of these these
0: key projects. Yeah. Now, Susan, I was actually going to have you kind of follow up on that thought because uh, Betsy and I are both former journalists. You're a former journalist. um, And then the passion you have for this work around WASH, what have you found to be the most effective way to communicate the dire need that is out there in a lot of these issues? Is there, again, for those of us whether we're working in communications or just, you know, as, as uh, Laura mentioned, you know, we've got a lot of community benefit folks. Actually, they're meeting this week. Uh, Julie's holding a virtual conference to, to talk through the, you know, community health needs assessments, how we, we tell stories around the work we're doing in community benefits. So any, any advice for those of us that are working to try to advance the cause and how we can be more effective in either storytelling or just getting information out to people that people will engage with?
3: Certainly storytelling, we all, have, we all have stories to be told. Um, I'm going to assume that a lot of your audience has traveled um, and has seen a lot and has been impacted. So what is it that really speaks to your heart that you've seen, who you've met? Um, and, and also know that you're empowered to do something. There's tremendous expertise in the CHA community. And they can bring that to bear to really solve some significant problems. This Vatican project then provides, and others, um, provides a mechanism to do so. Um, and we're not talking about giant investments. And so it's both telling the story to help people understand how urgent the need is, as well as not leaving them hanging. You know, this is actually a solvable problem. And in a world where we sometimes, Shrug our shoulders and just feel like, oh,
0: it could be overwhelming. Yeah,
3: it's impossible to solve things. We can solve this one. Yeah,
1: I think. Um, one thing that I keep coming back to in recent months is, uh, is the notion that not everybody can do everything in healthcare, but everybody can do something. Um, and so I think in putting together this issue, it was really inspiring to see people kind of dig in in their area of expertise, whether that was facilities or someone talking about, you know, spirituality and um, going out in nature for meditation. So all the different ways that people in Catholic health were interacting with the environment. And I think I agree with what everyone's saying, that storytelling is important and that people need to um, have a better awareness on some of these issues. But I also, you know, I do wonder with a really large issue like this, should people just pick the thing that matters the most to them uh, and just get started somewhere? Is that a good first step for people trying to take more action on environmental justice? Let's, uh, Laura. I guess I'll direct that to you. Sure. I, you know, I think you're
2: right, um, Betsy. I think something is better than nothing, and um, there are so many, um, uh, so many efforts that are in play now um whether uh, again uh, just the importance of trees and how that helps our health um takes the the pollution out of the air it creates oxygen it creates shade um and you know everybody can plant a tree almost everybody and many communities are giving those away free um so it doesn't it, it doesn't um it doesn't always have to be gloom and doom right it can be hopeful. And as Susan said, there's there's always an impact. There's something that can happen from any action we take. And I think focusing on what makes you passionate and uh, happy and feeling like you're doing something that's moving us toward a better future for everyone, I think is where you should start. And We all have those opportunities in in different ways, right? So I'm an educator. um, I'm a director of a center, co director of a center. We get a lot of requests for for, uh, webinars and consultations, but I'm also a master naturalist for Virginia. So I have a lot of opportunities to talk to people about uh, greener communities and to take folks in communities that have less than. And how do, how do we help them um, create greener and healthier communities? Um, there's so many opportunities. And I think um, we also have to focus on those positive outcomes so that people can see um, and can realize that we have made progress over time. It isn't always as fast as we want it to be, uh, but I think a little bit is better than nothing. And, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, and no, on that last point, uh- examples of things that you've seen over your career that you think have really made a difference that we should be celebrating and replicating?
2: Um, Is that for me? Yeah.
0: Yeah. For Laura. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, that that there are some good things that have happened. And I think sometimes you're right. We lose sight of that. and
2: We do lose sight of that. I think, um, you know, creating green space and parks and uh, there's there's a movement in the healthcare field to write prescriptions for uh, outdoor play for kids, which seems ridiculous, but you know, kids spend a lot of time on the computer, especially with COVID and remote learning. Um, That's been successful, Uh, you know, um, like I said, healthcare without harm and Catholic Health Association have done a lot of work in farmers markets and getting uh, food that's locally grown, that's pesticide free, all of that makes a difference. And um, advising parents and families, either one-on-one or in large-scale town hall meetings about the quality of their water and how to reduce the pollution, um, how to make schools healthier for kids so that there's less mold and uh, less PCBs in the caulking and better ventilation with the HVAC systems. You know, this is all happening right now and it's very effective and people are embracing it. Uh, I do think the younger people are um, are I don't know if they're better uh, read or more interested, but they are embracing um, these actions for a better planet uh, much more so than I, when I first began teaching thirty years ago. So it's it's very hopeful, and I think that there's um, there's an embracing of this vision of a better future despite all of the stuff that we know is happening with climate change, um, all the way to not having enough clean water, electricity, um, housing without lead, all of those things.
0: So as we conclude our conversation, I'm going to ask you each to to respond to, um, kind of looking forward. Um, you just gave some examples of some positive things, Laura, um, So I guess I'd ask the same question of you, Susan, uh, but also I have you both reflect on what what are the biggest concerns you have too? I think we've got a a huge bill that's pending out in Congress, the reconciliation package, however many trillions of dollars that ends up being is still in doubt as we record this. But I think there has been a lot of movement, uh, particularly by some of the more progressive members of Congress, to really make sure that there are provisions in that legislation, that there's funds to really start to address uh, climate change. So uh, go to you first, Susan. What what are you most optimistic about and what, what concerns are you looking forward?
3: I look backwards and forwards. Um, we've Cut in half, more than half, under five deaths in the last 25 years. That's millions of children who have survived that otherwise wouldn't have, in large part because of US and USAID leadership, uh, influence, and funding. And keep in mind, the funding we put into foreign assistance is less than 1% of the federal budget. It's so much smaller than anyone thinks. If we made it 2%, just imagine what we could achieve. And it's not over there. There is no over there. We live in a global economy. And when we create markets for our products overseas, Americans benefit, Americans, American jobs benefit, salaries benefit, corporations benefit. So we're all connected. And so looking ahead, um, I think I'll stick with my water theme if you don't mind. Um, one of the reasons why I created Faiths for Safe Water is because there's a whole lot out there that we don't agree on, but we can all agree that every child deserves a clean glass of water. That is something that's valued in every one of our faiths. And there are faith-based organizations connected to every faith and denomination out there doing amazing global health and development work, um, as well as domestic health and development work as well. And pick one, you know, pick one. and help them make make a difference.
0: Laura?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm a bit of a policy wonk, and um, I uh, agree that this uh, reconciliation legislation, the infrastructure uh, legislation is super important to moving us towards uh, uh, environmental equity, And um, there are things in the the bills uh, that um, improve schools, um, the infrastructure of schools and the um, um, air quality of schools as one example. Um, I'm worried about what's going to be cut um, from this bill. I hope it doesn't um, derail um, climate action and some of the really basic necessities that many communities need. To live a healthier life. Um, I also can tell you that the Clean Air Act um, has a a vision of success and policy that almost got gutted, um, did get gutted a little bit in the past administration. You know, we know that it's cut pollution, protects health of both families and workers. We've seen fewer premature deaths and illnesses because of the Clean Air Act. We've seen lower medical expenses, better quality of life, fewer school absences, better worker productivity. So we know that laws can help us do better and and have better health. And so I'm really hopeful that um, this legislation and um, the Environmental Justice for All Act, which I write about briefly in the article, can bring us to a a better level of equity um environmentally and um ultimately with with people's people's health the public health of our nation.
3: Betsy I couldn't agree with Laura Moore and can I just add that this, oh, isn't, sure, sure. A, Go this yeah. isn't a zero sum situation, you know, one side can only win if the other side loses. Um both things are possible. We are interrelated and global health is domestic health. Domestic development is global development.
0: Definitely. Uh, Betsy the final word.
1: um, you know, I just think uh, this conversation was a good reminder. I appreciated um you both talking about the successes uh, that that have been brought about. um and certainly, you know, there's a lot more work to be done, but it uh, it was enlightening to hear from both of you. and um and, you know, certainly, I would encourage people to pick up the most recent issue of health progress. Um, it's really got a wide variety of. Stories that relate to healthcare and the environment, and uh, I think there's something in it for everyone.
0: And you can check that out on our website at chausa.org. It is the fall issue of Health Progress. I want to thank Laura Andurco from Villanova University and Susan Barnett, a former network news producer and the founder of Faith for Safe Water, for joining us for this conversation. Thanks to both of you for taking time out. Thank you. you. And this has been another episode of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. For Betsy Taylor, I'm Brian Reardon. And until next time, we'll talk to you.